Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Buonasera e benvenuto a Chihuahua Corale. It's a Morales thing. Right, nice cadence. Uh, wrong composer, probably, that's Spanish. Whereas actually today, I'm in Italy. I'm without Eamon uh, on a terrace overlooking some rather lovely trees and some towers in the town of Lucca, where I'm working on one of the Laycock Summer School courses um, with some rather lovely scholars. So we're calling this episode Robert Meets the Youth, because you are all the youth, aren't you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> And uh, there's a, certainly a York connection here. I teach at the University of York, and there are five of my ex-students here that are working, have been employed to come and help with the course here. Um, and a sixth who sang in the 24, didn't you, Dom? Yeah, had a great time. But you read? History. Uh, and our seventh mystery guest is? Alice. <laughs> I did English at Bristol, so something a bit different. But, um, yeah, I've always done singing alongside. Now, we should kick off with, with some music, but, but what we're going to be talking to, to these youths, as the Peter Sellers-type siren goes in the background, <laughs> is what it's like to be at the beginning of... A, a career, if not a choral singing career, a singing career that includes choral as part of it. And we could have gone in at, at various different levels. We could have gone in with all of them doing very nicely, thank you. Um, but I think it's more interesting that, and certainly if there are any people at university listening, is what I might be doing in a year or two is sort of where we're at at the moment. And some of you, well, we're here with Ellie Stamp. Ellie, you've only just left, haven't you? Yeah, literally a couple of months ago. But you've walked straight into your job, you jammy thing. <laughs> yeah, in a, in a couple of weeks I'm starting as a lay clerk um, at New College, which I'm both yeah, excited and terrified for. So anyway, what are we going to hear? Uh, well, tell you what, I've asked them to, to, to choose various pieces today, and with, with seven of them here, that's going to be quite a lot of tracks. So uh, why don't we start with Dom's, because it's a bit unconventional. Wonderful. But you have to say what it is. Of course, <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's Partita for Eight Voices by Caroline Shaw. Mm-hmm. 
It's a very creative piece of modern music. It won the Pulitzer Prize in 2013, and it's written one per part um, for, I think, two sopranos, two altos, two tenors, and two basses, and it's recorded by a room full of teeth. What a great name for a group. Take it away. To the side. To the side. To the side. And around. Through the middle end. To the side. To the side. To the side. And around. Through the middle end. To the side. To the side. To the side. To the side. And around. And around and around. And around and around. To the side. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Through the midpoint. Of the line drawn from left side. Alan and left. Alan and left. And around and around. And around and around. Shaw's Partita for Eight Singers. Who'd come across Caroline Shaw before? Yep. Reminds me very much of um, a Ronnie, the Berio um, piece as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I had it played to me in mine and Dom's room and it just put hairs on my eyeballs. There's some incredible bits of tuning in there, the microtonal stuff, it's brilliant. Well, you've got hair everywhere else, so let's (laughs) (laughs) let's say who you are, Robin. Uh, I'm Robin Datta. Um, I did four years at York uh, and I'm now currently based in Cambridge, singing in London. Great, so let's just deal with this early thing. I mean... Is there a moment, it's too long ago for me to remember, I remember I ended up going to sort of Guildhall by mistake after university for a year, but I certainly didn't have any, I'm always going to be a professional singer, I had absolutely no career plan except that I was desperate to do singing in some form and I'd already started Fagiolini by then. But uh, do you know, Robin, do you, do you know what you'd like to be doing in some form? So I am uh, a real lover of early music, I love one to a part singing um, my dream would kind of be to be singing a lot of consort music for loads of various people, bits of early opera, oratorio, um, as much Monteverdi as I can possibly get. Yeah, I think we can all relate to that, can't we? That's fine. Um, let's uh, let's turn to Sol Solomon. Who are you then? Who am I? Uh, well, I suppose very much like uh, Robin, I was at York for four years. Um, and you, and you both did the, the master's course on so yes, yes, so the year, year after Robin. I uh, had a wonderful time there, now currently uh, singing with Welsh Cathedral Choir. And who was our visiting wasp? Sweetheart. Remember, my mother, would, well, my mother would say, he doesn't want you, he wants your jam. Anyway, 
Um, now, we've got someone who's already doing quite well here. We've got one of the Vultures 8 scholars here. She's putting a face now. But <laughs> Ailsa Campbell, introduce yourself. Hello. Uh, yes, hello. <laughs> yeah, I, I moved to London um, in 2019, just after finishing Robert's course um, in York. Um, I was at Bristol before that, um, sang at the cathedral there. And when I moved to London, I started singing at St Martin in the Fields as a choral scholar, and I had a couple of other choral scholarships as well that kind of started getting me into the London choral scene, which I know a lot of listeners will be very familiar with. Um, and then the pandemic happened. Um, but since then, I think I think probably because during the pandemic, lots of singers kind of decided, OK, we've had enough of this. And it's meant that lots of people in our generation have actually got quite a few opportunities since then. So I'm now doing the Vulture State Scholarship. Um, we had our first weekend last weekend. It was great, really great fun. So thanks very much to um, everyone in Vulture State for... For doing that. Um, so this is this is eight of you that are chosen each year, isn't it? And yeah. then they go and work with the group. Yes, yeah. So we get um, coaching. We had a really good coaching session with um, Katie and Barney, and then we also got to sing with the whole group as well. We did a little um, all sixteen of us um, singing through some music, which was a great experience. On my left, I've got one of the songmen from York Minster. So you've also got an actual proper job in singing already. Well done. Thank you very much. Um, so I sing at the Minster in the choir there. Um, I did my undergrad in Birmingham, studying at the Conservatoire, doing vocal and operatic performance. Um, alongside that, I was at the Cathedral in Birmingham, and I spent a year after I graduated doing various bits of admin and freelancing before getting the York job. Well, that's interesting. Two things interesting. Uh, firstly is the word cathedral, which we've heard several times already, uh, a staple job, an actual job, and then the sort of mixed career now, Ailsa, you've been doing you've been doing Fagellini's social media for a while, the Instagram and Facebook account. Um, started off as help trying to explain things to me, and then very quickly worked out there was no point. <laughs> um, but you've also helped out at Star Music, um, being a, basically the administrator for the last couple of years um, when we had an illness. So uh, that mix of careers is that something that a- appeals to people, or you just want to do singing? Um, personally, yeah, a mixed or like diverse career is, is what I'm interested in. Um, I also think it's just realistic. I think having like a few strings to your bow, um, singing's uh, unstable and competitive. And so like having admin work or teaching work or other things that you're doing on the side, that's kind of what I've got in my head is how the next few years are going to go at least. Go on then, Sol, what, what have you chosen? I've chosen Lobo's Versa Est in Lucton. Uh, yeah, sort of rather taking it in a more uh, slightly maybe uh, de- depressing and desperate uh, direction. But I, I find it, especially if I'm, I don't know, even a spot of grief or, um, I don't know, needing consoling, I, I find it the perfect antidote. A staggering piece. This is about 1600, isn't it? The Spanish composers still writing in the old style, um, no movement to sort of continue a writing Baroque, but still full-on polyphony. And the performers? Uh, Tenebrae. But in fact, the scholars were so keen about this piece that they had a go at it themselves the following day. So this is a bit of them singing it through in the uh, Baroque chapel where we were working in Lucca, to the accompaniment of several loud Italian delivery lorries.
Blimey, staggering, staggering piece that I got to know that in the uh, Westminster Cathedral Choir recording A Treasury of Spanish Renaissance Music, which was, I, I first got into Spanish Renaissance Music in the late 1980s. Uh, the, the Hyperion recording of the um, Westminster Cathedral came out around then with David Hill, and I couldn't believe that he could take it so slowly but yet still find amazing line singing from those boys. It was, uh, uh, it was quite a thing. And then out came the Talis Scholars recording at the same time. So next to me, Alice Beverley, we talked about um, uh, careers and things. You're a couple of years down the line. A little bit older, and nice you're, way of saying that. Well, no, you're just, <laughs> you're just well, a little bit better. Yeah. And, and you've made different choices, but you're still in the world of singing. I mean, you're at the most important end of it. Yeah, so um, singing's always been enormously important to me. I started as a chorister at Salisbury Cathedral and I guess all of my life has been a practice of balancing um, the love of doing that with doing lots of other things. Um, So now I work for London Youth Choirs, which is a charity that um, brings singing experiences to young people in London. It feels especially important at this time um, with music really... uh, not prioritised in the school curriculum, let's say. Um, so it's really, really great to be able to use the experiences that I've had, yeah, to try and bring that to a new generation of young people, really. And um, so, yeah, I guess I get a similar thing to you, Robin, where I get to work in um, a world which really prioritises and, and loves and celebrates music um, and sing on the side of that. And what singing on the side do you do? So I do um, various bits of church singing, so, you know, the usual Sunday jobs. Um, and then I run my own group, and that's been a real um, turning point for me, I think, uh, just actually getting to decide what I want to sing mm. <laughs> and how I want to sing it. Oh, go on, <laughs> plug it then. What's it called? Uh, it's called Picolette. Um, we're not exactly big, but, uh, yes, it's fun. <laughs> well, you, with a name like Picolette, you should be small. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, true, true. <laughs> And you've said, you know, the usual Sunday morning thing. I suppose this is quite a niche podcast. And so, you know, it's not as if we're talking to people off the street that have no idea how the choral world goes. But we should just say what that world is, because London isn't like everywhere else. Uh, And there is a living to be had. And you can make a living at weekends, uh, doing services and extra weddings. And when you see that choir at St. Paul's at the... uh, at the service of Thanksgiving for uh, for the Queen that we've seen a few days later. Here we are in mid-September. Um, those are professional singers being being paid there. Now, Ali, you're you're doing that how many times a week in York? The Minster commitment is eight services, so it's even song every day, um, three services on a Sunday, and Monday's our day off. Let's just think about how much time that is. And and I suppose the, the, the thing about now f- male and female choruses, you've just said you were at Salisbury. It was at Salisbury they started it off, didn't they? They were the first to set a, yeah. uh, to have girl choristers. It's just hard to underline what that means by the age of 14. The amount of training you've done would in any other sphere be regarded as fully professional. And I suppose when I first started working abroad, and when I just left um, university, that you were regarded as a professional because British singers, thanks for being your skip, um, the, the, um, the, the British singers were, had a sort of uh, ability to sight-read literally anything. I remember singing through a Stravinsky Ave Maria, just there's three of us over there, four of us singing this thing, and the conductor's face just almost weeping because it would have taken him so long to, to, to teach his normal professional singers that. But since then... 
the rest of the world has moved on. And in France, back in the 1980s, actually, when I was a, a choral scholar, they were setting up organizations of petits chanteurs. So there is, in, in Spain now, there's so much more early music, particularly. And there are many more good trained singers all around. I mean, look at the U.S., of course. The U.S., um, uh, great choral-like organizations all around the place. I mean, does that, does that bother you? Do you think, oh, I wish I'd been born uh, 40 years ago? No, great. Okay. <laughs> well, just I don't know. I mean, English. It was easier to sell the idea of an English singer abroad then. I think there's still still probably the case now. Like when when, for example, I came to Trondheim with you in May, um, because there was a couple of illnesses in the choir that we were singing with um, the Trondheim Vocal Ensemble, and uh, you you felt like we had to get in some English singers because it would have been difficult to learn the notes in time. So I think. There's still definitely um, uh, a stereotype that English singers are good at sight reading um, because we're all kind of trained in this choral tradition, but I think there's also a lot of problems with that as well. Sort of a poison chalice sometimes because we don't like to rehearse things very much and that can come at a loss for the music making. Um, But, sorry, you go. Payment. I've heard that's true of orchestras as well. You're expected to put something together by just having one rehearsal on the day and then a rehearsal. Well, the the, the, no, but the British orchestra thing is famous that for film orchestras, you come to London because they really just can put it together at an incredible speed. I mean, who's done film sessions? A couple of you, a couple of film sessions. I mean, that's quite scary. I mean, it's a good, a very good rate per minute or per hour. but you have to be able to respond immediately what the direct, the music director, but also the, the actual director who's usually there saying, no, don't make this kind of noise. I need it to sound more like balloons, they'll say, um, or I need it to sound like a sort of tree falling over, and you have to sort of produce that somehow. Most um, of the time it's just screaming as well. <laughs> yeah, well. Yes, I need very, very high notes and very, 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 very low notes. We're going to cut to another piece of music. Elsa, what did you go for? Um, I've gone with a piece that actually um, I think made me want to do choral singing. This is a piece I sang um, when I was uh, a young chorister at Hexham Abbey Girls' Choir and um, it's Ceremony of Carols. Lovely Britain there. We've just been, been giggling because we'd had to look up how to pronounce the harpist's name. We, th- we think it's Seaned, Seaned Williams and uh, the 16 with our erstwhile call to our co- colleague, um, Harry Christophers. 
money. We've got to talk about it. Is there a danger that call music for young professionals is just becoming a thing that only people whose parents live in London can afford to do? Yeah, I think it's a reasonable thing to say. I think uh, perhaps I would personally already be there being on that freelance scene right now if I had parents, a family who lived in London. Um, obviously, the rent is very high. It's, yeah, it's a perfectly reasonable thing to say, for sure. Rent's terrifying at the moment. I mean, they're just being doubled with no apparent reason. Why isn't there a law against it that just sounds sounds outrageous? So the Musicians' Union rate is £145 for a concert, and that includes a three-hour rehearsal on the day. Um, obviously, that's been that figure for quite a long time, and £145 doesn't go quite as far as it did a year ago or, or, or in or ago. in the 1980s no indeed when that sort of money was still being being offered dom and sometimes you're lucky to get the mu rate yeah so i'm very lucky to be um paid an mu rate for the extra appearances on top of my 200 contracted appearances at ely cathedral um but some people aren't so lucky i know the rate in london for £100 for a wedding or a funeral hasn't changed for about a decade and that's staggering when you consider the cost of living and the amount it's costing to live in London at the moment. Meanwhile there are places where you don't even get that um, still sadly for extra services and things like that. I know it's very changeable though. Um, um, One thing that is really good about um, I think the kind of collaboration in the industry is people are calling out that quite often so if someone puts something on a a group chat where someone's looking for a singer and it's below MU rates people will say this is below MU rates you should um, talk to the director about it. And there have been some great circumstances recently I think just after the pandemic specifically where a group of sopranos that Elsa and I know got together made a list of all the rates and actually presented that to their churches to ask for a rise that was in line with inflation or you know <laughs> as much as could be reached towards that the church one's interesting is it because you talk about a hundred pounds for a funeral which will involve a rehearsal but you, you've got to get there mm-hmm. and then there's a rehearsal because traveling for most people they do it you know beginning and end of the day we might be jumping around from different places sometimes i say we haven't done that for years but there you go mm-hmm. um you know, how many weddings can you do in a day? Uh, it, it doesn't work that way. What, what about actual concerts? I mean, uh, some of the groups that you, you work for. Robin and I work for a group called the Swan Consort, which is run by Anita Datta, Robin's sister. We were a group that was founded in York um, with people from the north of England generally, um, which is quite nice because it's sort of away from London and it's from a slightly different part of the country where you'd normally expect to find choral singers. A couple of the London groups? Yeah, I, I, I've sung with Siglo de Oro, with Paddy Allies, um, conducting Marin Consort, um, and uh, yeah, lots of lots of friends are doing stuff with Tenebrae and all all of the kind of big groups that you want to be singing with, which is um, great news. And I, they all pay official rates, which is good. <laughs> I mean, what what other things do you do you do apart from from choral singing? What what what's on the site? What's on the site? Has any of you design websites or give driving lessons? I work for an architect, I work on listed buildings and often cathedrals Um, and I do find that the two kind of income streams do cross over quite nicely. Um, I'm working on York Minster at the moment um, on some projects there to do with sustainability and I've had the fortune of working there as a choral scholar. So I understand the space, I understand what the space needs and when we're thinking about change to York Minster I can think about what people are using the space for and what working in that space is like. So the the bulk of my kind of external choral work comes from Armonico Consort, who are based down in Warwick, 
Um, but they do gigs in London and sometimes they do gigs in places like Harrogate. Um, but I also teach the choruses at Bradford Cathedral, which is just on a Saturday. I'll go and give them their weekly lesson. Um, and it works quite nicely on a freelance basis. If I've got a paid engagement as a soloist that day, I can move it around. And they're pretty flexible with that, which is good. You also sing the Corvus concert, don't you? Because they've just released that fabulous disc with the saxophones. Yes, yeah, we've just done a disc of um, uh, bar- pieces with, uh, by Bach, but um, instead of two choir arrangements, one choir is singers and one choir is saxophones. We'd re- very much recommend listening to that album. But you've had your choice now, so it's someone else's yeah. turn. <laughs> uh, who hasn't yet? Who hasn't had a piece? Robin. Uh, so I have picked uh, a piece of early music, surprise, surprise. Uh, I've picked uh, Gallicantus and Gabriel Crouch's recording of Robert White's setting of Psalm 51, Miserere May. The recording is by Gallicantus and Gabriel Crouch. And the thing that I love most about this is the clarity and honesty that each of the singers put in individually, because that allows the chords to be really well-tuned and really bright and colourful. Like Some of them really scream at you. It's a bit like taking a tour panel by panel of a wonderful stained glass window.
Gallicantus in part of Robert White's... Is that the sixth part or the five part? It's the five, I think. That's the one from the Dow Part books. Yes. When I grow up, I'm going to be Gabriel Crouch. That's a wonderful aspiration for any of us, I think. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we could talk about money all day, couldn't we? Because it's, you know, how do you get it together? But let's just, let's just go somewhere a little bit else. If you could sing, I mean, obviously the answer to this is Evangelini, but if you could sing with, <laughs> what, would, what would your dream gig be apart from Fagellini? Uh Singing with, with a group at the moment, who do you like to be singing with one to a part? The dream is to do a tenor break gig. I think for a lot of us, that seems to be the goal. Um, some of their recordings, I think, are fabulous. Um, I think the Path of Miracles sort of got me into choral singing. And it started my voice playlist on Spotify. And um, I love the way it tells a story and paints a picture throughout each of the movements. You really travel from England to Santiago, which is the um, location of the final movement. That's Joby Talbot. Um, So, Nigel Short, if you're listening, Dominic Wallace would like an audition (laughs) shortly. Ellie? Uh, The Swingle Singers. Just as something totally different. I feel like that would be so much fun. I know, like very different way of using my voice do you swing yeah great (laughs) i've already done part of my dream gig uh because we did selections from cavalli's musica sacre with the swan consort Um, i know cavalli's musica sacre (laughs) 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 there's a venetian dialect darling um but yeah it's a wonderful wonderful piece of uh, piece of music. It's kind of like the Monteverdi Salva Morale, but gone a step further and a little bit wrong. And it's wonderful. If we could get Swan to do a full thing of that, brilliant. Uh, did you have plans to do part of that in India? Yes. Yeah, so we recorded uh, selections uh, of some of them. Uh, we did a recorded recital uh, with the Mumbai Opera House. Uh, that is available on YouTube mm. if people are so interested. Yeah, doing that one to a part with singers that I've you know, trained with exactly for this. Just an electrifying feeling. So? Ooh. Uh, it would have to be some sort of some sort of opera production of some sort. But if it had to be a group, I mean, to be honest, it's hard to... <laughs> I'm not saying it's just because I'm talking right in front of you right now, but uh, um, I would love to do uh, something with Evangelini. Is the correct answer? Is the correct answer? Who's Evangelini? <laughs> <laughs> so rude, you can get out. <laughs> but, I, mean, I mean, some sort of Monteverdi opera or something. Maybe like Popeye or something like that. I mean, that would be... That really would be fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Ailsa? I think the dream gig is, is, is all about the three M's when you're doing professional choral music, which is music, money and mates. And as long as you've got two things of that fulfilled, then that's, that's a dream gig. And if you get all three, then, yeah. That, that's absolutely true, isn't it? So often you're thinking, ah, oh, you know, this is... Sometimes you have to say it, it's a film or something, and it's ludicrous musically because it's, it's, it's an effect, it's part of something else. But the money's good and you're there with lots of lovely people and it's in London and there's good coffee around the corner and that's easy. And, and sometimes it's an immensely emotionally important concert and you know the fee's rubbish for whatever reason. Um, but, it, you know, it's that thing that really got you up in the morning. Remember Tamsin Gregg when she did the Live from London mm. gig with us after lockdown? She said, you know, I was excited when I woke up this morning. And that's something that we really have, isn't it, about singing? You know, we can moan about the money. But I say this to, to students worrying about whether they're going to make it that they shouldn't worry because it doesn't matter whether you make it or not that's someone else's definition you just need to be doing it at some level whether it's running your own group or or taking part you know that that are you going to make a living from it 
is, is it that important? Would you be happy doing other things as long as you could get enough singing? I'd say it can be a bit of a catch-22, though. I find it much mm. easier to pay for my singing lessons when I've got a full-time job, but uh, much harder to fit them in. <laughs> well, I mean, continuing... I was going to talk about continuing development, but actually, let's hear. Let's hear one, one, one other track, and then I we'll pick that up again. I was going to say that um, my dream gig would be with Le Poème Harmonique, so I'm happy to make that my introduction Do you want to, to I mean, your, your press quote about this? Uh, Yes, well, I'd have a lot to learn in order to, <laughs> to take any part in this, but um, Claire Lafilettre, the um, soprano on uh, this particular track, just the ornamentation um, is so exciting and playful, and that's what I really love about this, this kind of early music. Um, it's a real slow burn, this track. It's 11 minutes, and we're not going to be able to hear it all. Um, but the really gratuitous use of suspensions, um, and yes. Yeah, so Improv- heavily improvised, and, yeah. the, and, the, and the critical question was, has absolutely no idea when there's, whether there's any real basis that music might have sounded like this, but there's a lot of imagination yeah, and I'm so glad that someone has done it like this because it's just really exciting to listen to. That's disgusting. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean that in a good way. Yeah, it's the perfect sort of film. <laughs> 
and uh, it was Inter Domine Speravi, um, performed by Le Poem Amonique. Um, it's by the, that famous composer Anonymous. Wow! Yeah, that made a, it was a lot of chat about that when it when it first came out. Someone sent me a copy of it and said, "I have no idea, but it's extraordinary." What about sort of continuing development? You've just talked about you know money to pay for your singing lessons. How difficult is it? I mean, Alistair, you give singing lessons. You're singing eight services a week. Do you have time to have lessons at the moment? Um, well, I have a teacher that I see probably once a month, but it's more kind of just like a technique checkup, and then you kind of find yourself riding that wave for as long as you can, singing well. Um, yeah. I'm in an interesting position because my voice is moving towards tenor, but I sing bass one at York Minster currently. So I'll go and do lots of high tenor stuff and then um, go and sing even song, singing yeah, bass that see, evening. You're getting daggers from these two over there. They don't want the competition, do they? <laughs> Uh, who, who else is having thoughts about maybe courses or going back to college or, you know, the sort of developmental things? I know lots of people um, uh, kind of see music college, especially Conservatoire in London, as, as a big aim. Well, obviously, the Royal Northern as well is a great place to go to. Um, and uh, they're quite expensive. <laughs> they're, they're extraordinarily expensive. I'm not yeah. saying they're not worth it. Um, I'm not saying they are, but that is an enormous investment of money. Yeah, and I think... I know I've got a friend who's just about to go to Germany to study there um, because it's much cheaper even after Brexit and all that kind of thing. It's obviously more expensive now than it was before that. Um, but And, yeah, so for, for me, I personally... Well, I've used up my master's loan on you, which is... Um, <laughs> I don't know if that was a good choice. Feeling quite... <laughs> so that was personal, wasn't it? <laughs> um, so I, I uh, decided to spend my money that I put aside for development on my singing teacher... Um, and rather than forking out 12 grand for conservatoire. Or significantly more, yeah. depending on the, on the course you're in. Let's have our penultimate track. Ellie Stamp, what have you chosen? I have chosen This World's Joy by Arnold Bax, and it's the recording by the Finzi Singers.
Oh, yeah, that was the Finzi Singers. Well, one of the fun things about this program is that while the tracks have been playing, we've all been waving our eyes and uh, waving our arms and singing. <laughs> <laughs> For me, a very distinct sound of the Finzi singers, which was one of my jobs in my sort of trying to make it as a singer-musician in London in the 90s, fixing that choir, choosing the singers for Paul Spicer. Uh, does that sound like choirs now? It sounds very supported and full-bodied and emotional. Basically, to me, it's, it's like opera, but in a choir. So I, I first heard this piece in my gap year when I was um, very new to the choral world. And I think... In my head, choral singing was just very, um, like, polite. That was <laughs> my impression of what that world was. And so I, I, it, was, um, it was with Genesis uh, 16, and we sang this. And to be honest, I think I was just so surprised and energised at the end of it. I just, uh, yeah, I think this was the start of my, like, total love affair with singing, to be honest. And, and that, for me, it, it's not so much a style thing. I don't remember Paul Spicer, the conductor, ever talking to us about the noise we made. Um, it, was, it was about the music, and it was about wearing your heart on your sleeve. Um, I mean, you could talk about which groups allow you to do that now. Are there particular groups where that's encouraged? What's it like on a, a daily basis at York? Because there isn't time for the sort of nitty-gritty because you're dealing with music that you're going to be singing in 40 minutes' time, isn't there? Are you allowed to emote? Well, there's definitely quite a lot of engagement with the text especially things like psalm singing. Mm. We certainly found, and I'm sure, Dom, you'll agree with me, when the organ was taken out, we did a lot of unaccompanied psalms, and that really made us up our game in terms of things like engaging with the text and really singing full-bodied in some of the more dramatic bits, but really taking it down as well in dynamic. So it's like almost like a stage whisper with lots of energetic text, but hardly any tone at all. Mm. Um, Talking of hardly any tone at all, someone's practising the recorder. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm really sorry to interrupt you. No, it's, um, it's, as you might say, the psalm, which I think helps you engage with the words. I remember the moment we got banned at Salisbury from illustrating the psalms. In the psalm copies, you'd have, like, the men barked like dogs, and then a little diagram of, of a stick yes. man being like, woof, woof. Where's, where's um, the fun in that? I, I, I th There's that. In every single Psalter at Hereford, when it said, with the help of my God, I shall leap over the wall, some, there was always a picture of a wall and the convict, <laughs> convict's prayer written, un, written underneath. We do laugh a lot in choirs, don't we? That's, that's a thing. Certainly. I think at this point we should have a shout-out for David Valsamidis, who uh, in the Psalms uh, set me as a seal, brought out the little toy fluffy seal uh, <laughs> in the back of the stalls. That was just magic. Unexpected cadence in bagging area. I suppose, look, I'm going to ask you the five, a short answer from each of you, the five-year time question. Uh, what will you be doing? And it doesn't have to be singing. I'd love to be in the opera world in some capacity, even if it's still studying opera. I want to uh, make choral music entertainment more for audiences. I want to be doing as much singing as I can and mending and breaking hearts within the same performance. Yeah, good. I want to do as much singing as I can as well, but with the knowledge that that will probably be a balance between all the other things that I love to do. I want to be living a really sustainable life with a healthy mix of choral singing and family life. Very similar to Ellie, I'd say. Just, I'd, I'd love to be heavily involved in the, in the opera world, if possible. 
I think I'd like to have choral singing being a bigger proportion of my work. Obviously, it's much of a portfolio career at the moment, but um, being able to do you know more work with some of the more higher profile groups is definitely something I'd like to do in the future. And I'd like a rest. <laughs> <laughs> well, it will be very lovely. And uh, you've been fantastic on this course where we're working with very keen amateur singers, which has been a, a huge part of my life over 35 years or so. I've always worked with uh, keen amateur singers. Uh, they're always extraordinary people, aren't they? You, you sit there thinking, I know more about choral singing than you. And it turns out that they designed the Channel Tunnel. Uh, or that they're brain surgeons, uh, or they're professors of Spanish literature, and they, they really are, or they, or they actually make things that people need. Um, and, uh, and a little bit of humility uh, when standing in front of a choir, which you, you know, you've all shown beautifully this week. You've also done the warm-ups, which I'm crap at, uh, which Eamon's very good at, of course, but he's not here. Anyone want to say anything about Eamon as he can't, uh, can't defend himself? Uh, ne- next time I see him, I owe him a dog biscuit. I don't want to know anything more about that. <laughs> sounds disgusting. Right, what, what's, our, what's our final track? Who chose the final one? That was me. So I really like this piece. It's Bring Us a Lord God by Harris. Um, I like it because it's a great setting of the, William, uh, of the John Donne poem, but it also has quite a sentimental place in my heart as well. At York Minster, the last service of the year, when we're reading out um, choral scholars and the choruses who are leaving as well, they do the usual service and then they have the reading out ceremony and just before the blessing we sing bring us a lord god at the end so um not only is it like a really fantastic piece of music it's really sentimental as well and at that point we failed to credit the singers of this final piece william harris's bring us O lord at the last Awakening, and it's the fabulous Tenebrae conducted by Nigel Short. Lovely listening to those uh, young people talk. Um, quite clear about the sort of trajectory they'd like their careers to take. Interesting thoughts there about the balance with home life from, from Dom, a sustainable life, sustainable in its fullest sense. Um, and singers very at home in their own skins. Uh, I always remember that most of the work you get as a young singer doesn't really come from fixers and conductors it comes from your own colleagues so really important to be good with other people and to be supportive of each other remember that old adage about the the people you meet on your way up are the same people you meet on the way down so be nice here's the harris see you in a couple of weeks with another culture recorded in Eamon's kitchen
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks.